Welcome to River Edge Podcasts. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Well, it's wonderful to see such a great crowd of people. Hallelujah. Oh, I think that's marvellous. Thank you very much for coming out on a cold morning. God may bless you for that. Hallelujah. Because he wakes us up every morning. I don't know about you, but we see the dawn and I like it. Because he breaks through and the, you had a phenomenal place here that you see stars. And you can actually see the, the beautiful sunrise. It was so red this morning. I loved it. I loved it. But um, I just want to give the church a word. Is that okay with you? Um, I had a feeling when I was sitting there that I might have to come up. So I quickly Googled, Googled something, you know. Ready in season and out of season, women, correct? No matter what, how many people come home. I just thought we'd bring, come on home. And you go, praise God. How many times has he blessed my food and multiplied it? Oh, whew. thank you, Jesus. Um, it's in uh, 1 Kings 18, 41. Um, the Lord said this to me probably about four or five weeks ago, but I've once you get a word from the Lord, like the rhema word of God, not the logos that is written on white paper and red when it's Jesus speaking, but it's, it's actually a, a, a word that sits inside of you. It doesn't come outside of you until such time as you go and look at the word of God and you plummet to see what, what it means for you. So you get the centre of that word and it actually has a birth in you. It quickens to you and it never, ever leaves you, okay? And it stays with you forever. You can actually get to my age and you can remember back all those years where God first spoke to you. And then after you get older and older, there's a culmination of all the promises of God which is unveiled to you in a second and you go, wow, it took me 38 years to find that out. <laughs> and sometimes you read a scripture and it means nothing to you. But then all of a sudden as you're reading through the Bible every year, which I'm sure you all do, and um, once that word comes again and you find it again and you go, I never saw that there. It could have been a jot or a tittle, but it will never, ever pass away. Correct? Oh, Yeah? Hello, yes, I love people to agree with me, amen. If you don't agree with me, I can tell by the look on your face. <laughs> so it's in 1, 1 Kings 18. Um, Elijah has had a phenomenal move of God, correct? And Elisha wanted double portion. Always the kids want double what you've got, correct? <laughs> And the brand names. And then all of a sudden you find out that you're too old-fashioned. <laughs> and so then they start to correct you. So now I'm at the age now where my grandchildren go, are you wearing that, Nan? <laughs> you go, what's wrong with it? <laughs> and, and then they take you shopping and, you, and they put you in gear that they wear. You go, no, thank you. <laughs> and so my, my, just this, it, it reminds me. When Elijah was speaking to Elisha, but these are the things that happened to him. I like the miracles of Elijah. I want to see the dead raised. I would love to see fire come down from heaven and consume my enemies. <laughs> Some of them might be Christians. <laughs> and don't tell me you don't think like I do. 
bless you. <laughs> With a brick. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so this is what... Oh, oh, <laughs> this is what the Lord said to me. He said, uh, I want you to go and read through um, the book of Kings again. I go, oh, I think I know all that, Lord. Do you ever talk to the Lord like that? Oh, yeah, know that, yeah. You've been there, done that. Yeah, know that. <laughs> but then he asked me to look again because he wanted to tell me something that I had not seen in this passage before. And so reading through Kings, I'm, I'm looking at it and then he said to Ahab, um, or actually he said to his servant Gehazi before that, go and see if there's any sound of rain because at his word, of course, everything dried up. Wouldn't that be wonderful if you said one thing and it dried up? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and so every now and again, your children turn out to be something that you've actually planted in them and they come back and, and people say to you, oh, your daughter's wonderful. I go, really? <laughs> now, <laughs> you weren't there at the beginning. <laughs> but to hear it does your heart good that your children are doing well in the Lord, doesn't it? It really impresses you. And so we know Ahab, there's a lot of Ahabs I've found in life. You know, they, they hide behind a woman's skirts and say, oh, my, I don't have to go, my wife goes, you know, she goes to the prayer meeting, she does this, she does that. She's the one, she, she. Ooh, I, I love those people. And especially the men I don't like, you know, when I go, and what have you done for her lately? And so, <laughs> and so in this, the Lord said to me, Gehazi goes out seven times to see if there's a man's hand, a cloud as a, a, a man's hand. And often we only see this, and this is what the Lord said to me, and I feel it's for the church of our Lord Jesus Christ across the board. He said, you see... Only very little at the moment. The, the sky is absolutely void of any clouds or dew or rain that would drop down. But the Lord said this to me, you have seen the size of a man's hand. You've seen a little. You've just seen the little that you think you're out of COVID. And what the world has put on, the whole world... It's not just Australia, but it's the whole world. And the Lord said this to me, tell my people that the size of a man's hand that you see at the moment, as Elijah said to Ahab, get in the chariot because there is the sound of the abundance of rain. And that abundance of rain came to me as a witness because I heard a prophecy years ago over Tim and it was at Cudley Creek at one of the um, camps that we had there and the, always the Lord fell in power in these camps because he used to take the youth group out every Friday night from 7 till midnight and once a month it would be all night of prayer and because nothing happens without prayer. And so if you've got a 7am prayer meeting, I would encourage you <laughs> to be attentive to that prayer because corporate prayer does something in the heavenly realm. 
when you all get together and there's a corporate body, you get a corporate anointing and the blessing of God will overflow into your every area that you've ever asked the Lord for as you come together. And so I encourage you in that prayer meeting at 7am in the morning, it's hard to get up. I know. And so you have to slap yourself and say, get up in Jesus' name. And because this is not your home, heaven is your home. And you get a part of heaven when we gather together like this. And, and so what happens with Ahab? He has a natural response. Most people have a natural response. But there is something else that's not a natural response. And this is what the Lord said to Tim. As you see these droplets, there were silver droplets of rain and wherever they dropped on somebody, there was a miracle in their life. And so what happened, the Lord said this to me. He said, there is the sound of abundance of rain. Tell the, tell the whole world because I am bringing the latter rain, the former and the latter rain together. If you do not gird up your loins now in prayer and get, get prepared, this you will find yourself in the mire and in the mud and you won't be able to bring your feet up to even run in the natural, let alone the spiritual. So I'm asking you, as the Lord asked me, gird up your loins and run in the spirit like you've never run before. And then he said this to me, he said, because I have gone ahead of you. The devil is trying to find out where I am. And so is the church. I've run ahead of you. I have done everything for you. I have a portal opened by the blood of Jesus in heaven. And that portal is open to you whenever you want to step into it. Seeing that we're gathered about by such great a cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 1, um, 13, no, 12 verse 1. And so I'm saying if these great cloud of witnesses of the people that have gone before us, they are now anxious for us to run this race like never before. And that is the prophetic word for the whole church all over the world. Gird up your loins, run. If, even if you have to run in the natural, then get into a chariot and whip that horse until it actually gets you to the spot where God wants you to because he's coming back. I don't care what anybody says. He's coming back and he's coming back in power, but he's gone ahead of us. Amen. Oh. There you go. How do you follow that woman? How do you do it? You look good today too. You do. Oh, man. Some good stuff there. Very quickly. Hey, it, the place is packed out. I was right up the back. I was up in the mother's section. It was great. And uh, there's a mother up there. She was, she's got three kids about year a bit apart and they need a book and this is the uh, I'm going to give some books away is that all right yeah. <laughs> then we're going to preach the word what time do we finish today okay because I'm I'm in the mood today I'm in the mood but we've got to give some stuff first this is uh Christmas uh Felicia you got the job here where's that young lady she's got the husband with a beard back there he's doing a mighty job as a dad and uh if you give that to them right up the back Oh, gee, there's lots of little kids. 
Who's got little kids here today? Where are... That's a little kid. Come over. Come and get a book. Come on. It's called the Ama Tim Hall's Amazing Animal Alphabet. And the stories in it are bizarre. And uh, it's got great stories for the grandparents to read. Like Dermot the Dynamic Duck was born in Denmark. Came to live down under in Daniloquin. Loves to go to do daring and deadly dangerous stunts. His mother Daphne is disgusted as it at his antics. See, the kids are excited. As his doctor Doug Dalrymple is also. He loves donuts. He's gone. The kid hates the book. <laughs> Dermot loves donuts and delicious Danish pastries filled with dried dates. His dog is a dopey Dalmatian. That, don't get too excited. Named Droppy. It's, Dermot likes to holiday in Denver and the Dominican Republic. His, his hobbies include growing daffodils and growing dinosaurs. The kids love it. Now, this is an important book for people who believe in giant killing. These are all the giant killers in the Bible. All their characteristics, how to defeat the giants you face and bring them down. Written from experience. Anyone like that? You'd like that? That's got great preaching in it. I'm going to preach a bit out of this today, or I've touched some things out of this. This is the book of Ephesians, and I've opened it up. This has taken years to come up with this. Go through all the Greek words on power. And much of the stuff I shared yesterday just goes to another level in the book. And anyone that really wants to get into the word, I, I advise you. In fact, you're not allowed out without getting it. And if you want to find out how Jackie has stayed with me all these years, this is our, our first 40 years of evangelism with pictures. And in the back is a colouring book for pastors. <laughs> and I have had a good weekend. Where have you all been? Some of you haven't been. <laughs> There'll be a show of hands in a moment. <laughs> uh, we, we're planning. Listen, to, you know what today did for me? I was up the back sitting in the mother and baby section, colouring, up in the back corner. I just went there to get a photo. And I looked across here and I thought, this is one of the best secrets, this church. Let me say to you, I am so impressed with what you guys are doing. There's something on your church which is unique. There's something brewing and you look around and the church packed out. Not many churches packed out after COVID. I mind you, I paid a few to come, but no, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't pay anyone. All right, I'm going to try and preach short, but I feel as though I've got something in my spirit. And if you can handle it, if you can handle it, we'll go for it. Would you like to? Should we have just a? Should we have just an entree, or should we get some meat going? Who wants meat? All the lions. How many would like just like a little savoury snack? You know, oh, sermonettes for Christianettes. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> I want you to turn your Bible. And I, I've been struggling to make up my mind whether to start with one or the other, but I'm going to Ephesians 6. Yeah. We're going to go to Ephesians 6 and see if we can pull some stuff out of this. And... Uh, it's pretty easy to find Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, <laughs> Deuteronomy, Joshua, Ephesians, and there's a couple in between there. 
Father, would you anoint your word this morning? Would you bless every person here? I should have bought a belt because my trousers are falling off. Father, help me today in Jesus' name and come and do something strong. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians is a fantastic book. I'm not going to spend much time. It is my favourite book in the Bible. And I think most people that love the power of God love the first three chapters of Ephesians. They are loaded. They tell you what you're carrying. I preached on this Saturday when some of you weren't here, but we won't go into details about that. We'll just mention that. But the first three chapters tell you who you are, what you're carrying, what's in you, what you can do, where you're seated. Watchman Nee, not Watchman Nee, Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee was Chinese preacher. And uh, as such, he was persecuted, tortured, beaten, but he wrote Christian books that were so powerful. One of them was called Sit, Walk, Stand. Anyone read that? He breaks up Ephesians into three parts. Sit, where are we seated? What is our place of authority? What's the power that's ours? It is the first section, the seated place of dominion, power, rulership and authority. And those first three chapters of Ephesians... You need to read them and memorize them. Good to see the crows jumper this morning. Memorize them. Get a free book for that. Well done. So, need to memorize, study, go through the original Greek. And uh, I'm not the sort of person just to advertise when I preach, but it's in there. 20 bucks. Today's special at 1997. Sit where you're seated. You're seated with him. We touch on this in heavenly places, far above all rule, principality, power and dominion, every name that's named. We're not looking to try and attain up there. We are learning to live from our place where we already are. We're learning to live as people of the cross in Jesus' name. And so sit, walk, and you'll find in chapters 4, 5, it talks to us about walking worthy, walking in the light. If God's empowered us, we've got to learn to walk in what we've been empowered with. If we're going to live in regal dominion and regal power and regal authority, we've got to learn to walk worthy of that. And then it talks about standing. And that's where we are here in Ephesians 6. I'm going to sit down on the stool. I'll last there for about a minute. It's the old carnival knee, the old football knee. People get knees healed all over the place, but I'm still waiting. But someone say, heal yourself, physician. I've had so many people lay hands on it, as I shared yesterday. We've got um, people from the police coming, forensics, and uh, so many fingerprints on my knee that they've actually found nine criminals. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it reads like this. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, finally we've started. In conclusion to this book, Paul is concluding what I think is a masterly statement of divine power. A statement of the... You go through each, each of the epistles, they'll open up something different. Colossians, if you want to get into Christology, who Jesus is, 
You want to understand Christology, knowing the person of Jesus. I go straight into Colossians and also get into, the, into Hebrews, Hebrews and just get stuck into, into those books. If I want to get into living in faith, I'll get into Galatians and uh, areas of Romans and, uh, and so on. So, but here you're dealing with people who want to live in the divine power of God. Let me let you know on something. Most Christians don't even understand that. They go to church, they have their Bible, and they try to live a good Christian life. But God wants more than that. God's looking for more than that. God is actually shaking his church, and there's people that say, we want to get back to normal, no thanks. The church before COVID, in my opinion in Australia, was pretty pathetic. Prayer-wise and evangelism, I saw evangelists as a dinosaur. As for prayer and fasting, people would mock you. You talk about end times. We're moving so fast towards the culmination of the earth. So rapidly are we moving, and yet churches don't want to know about it. Pastors won't go there. And the doctrine of end times is so wishy-washy and watered down, and some of it's so nuts. People steer clear of the book of Revelation because they, they fear, oh, if I go there, oh, it's the greatest book of inspiration. You start to see Christ in his glory, Christ in his might, in his majesty, in his dominion, the great warrior king coming again to sort this planet out. I can't wait for him to come and sort a few things out. I mean, I, whoa, how long, oh Lord? There's going to be a punch up. It's high noon. I mean, I love those Western movies. Da, 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 da. Da 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 da. This town ain't big enough for the tours. There's nothing like a gunfight in a western. The showdown on the street. This town ain't big enough for the two of us, Mister. I'll meet you out on the street. Clink, clink. Clink, the boots. There's nothing like a good Clint Eastwood movie. Clint Eastwood and Van Cleef, Lee Van Cleef, with his big boots on in the cemetery at the end of The Good, The Bad and The Ugly that I cannot recommend. Too violent, too violent. And the showdown at the end, the look of the eyes, the glint, the glint in the eye, the steel of the Navy Colt. Or even in Tombstone. Well, I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your Huckleberry. Why, Johnny Ringo, you look like someone just walked over your grave. Fight's not with you, Halliday. I beg to differ, sir. We began to fight for blood, remember? <laughs> I was only messing about. I wasn't. This time it's legal. We played for blood, remember? Okay, Lunga. Say, say when. Say when. Say when. Circling round. Come on, Johnny. Come on, Johnny. You're no Daisy. Poor soul was just half strong. The strain was more than he could bear. I love that stuff. But all I'm trying to say is there's a showdown coming. 
Don't worry about end times. Don't worry about the Antichrist. The Antichrist, yeah, the Antichrist is coming. We won't see. My Bible says the restrainer will restrain, which is, in my opinion, the praying church. The restrainer will restrain till he be taken out. Then will the son of perdition be revealed. The man of sin, the son of perdition. Then will he be revealed. I'm getting out of Dodge. People say, well, don't you feel like going through the tribulation? I'll go through persecution. Do you understand what tribulation is? It's the wrath of Almighty God. And we have not been ordained to wrath. We've been saved from wrath. And uh, when he comes in great tribulation, and the Bible says that Jesus is treading the winepress of the fierce wrath of Almighty God. He tread the winepress on a cross first. But he's coming back. Who is this that comes out of Bosra, his robes dipped in blood, tis I mighty to save? What is this on your clothes? I tread the winepress alone. Out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. You read in Zechariah when the armies turn on him around Jerusalem at the very end. They turn their weapons on him. Zechariah says this is what happens to those that turn their weapons on him of these great armies. The blood will run, I think it's for 1,260 furlongs, which is the distance from Bosra right to Megiddo to the height of a horse's mane. Someone says, oh, it's just a big number. God doesn't just put big numbers in. Don't read the Bible and go, oh, God's exaggerating. God never exaggerates. <laughs> There's a number in there. It's a number. People say, oh, the, the millennial reign is no such thing. It's just a long period of something. Six times Jesus will rule. From Jerusalem for a thousand years. Then Gog and Magog will rise up and then he'll put down the last final rebellion and that will usher in the mighty final judgment and the, the new earth, the new heaven and earth. People say, oh, we're in the millennium now. Well, the Bible says that during the millennium, Satan will be bound for a thousand years so as not to deceive the nations. So you tell me any time in the, that the devil has been bound for a thousand years and not deceiving the nations. They say, oh, we're in the millennium now. Well, the nations are sure deceived. Our nations is deceived to a lunatic asylum. Did you sleep well last night? You slept so well. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm just getting excited. I'm throwing a bit of eschatology in and I've got no reason to do so except that's where I'm going. And all we've got up to is finally... Finally, in conclusion, my brethren, the word brethren is the Greek word adelphos. It was, would have been understood particularly by those in Ephesus because the term went back to Alexander the Great. It does mean brother. It does certainly mean brother, but also has a sense that in battle, if a man had gone in and achieved something great, and had been a person who alongside in battle showed great courage and, and fearlessness in the day of battle. You could imagine Alexander the Great, demonized, but a brilliant general, bringing the man up on the stage and saying, this is my Adelphos, my brother, a brother in the battle. Paul's not writing to wishy-washy, watered-down, half-baked, tiny Tim tiptoeing through the... Tulips Christians. 
He's writing to people who want to be on the coalface, that actually are not interested in just church, but they're interested in taking their community for the glory of God. He's writing to a body of people who are not interested in being just churchgoers, but understand that they're in a war. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. The word strong is dunatos. And the base word dunamis, enabled, supernaturally empowered. He says, finally, brethren, just letting you know that if you're going to operate in all these things, you need to be fully empowered. You need to be almost have an addiction to the supernatural. People are starting to get an addiction. When you begin to pray for the power of God and you start to move in the power of God, it is the most addictive thing on the planet. I was standing in the Solomon Islands one night and there were about 8,000 people out there and God said, just wave your hand over the crowd. And I waved my hand in Jesus' name and from front to back, the entire congregation went out under the power of God. Demons coming out on every side. And I tell you, you get an addiction. You get an addiction to the supernatural. When a little child is carried down to the stadium and stuffed into the arms of one of your team and the team start praying and a little child who's been dead for two hours begins to cry and you hand that baby back to the mother, you get an addiction. You get an addiction. I don't even know where to start on some of the miracles we've seen. We're in a meeting one night and this woman started yelling out and I thought, shut her up. She hadn't spoken for years. We're demonstrating the power of God. I don't know where this meeting's going to go. <laughs> I got notes here. I doubt that I'm going to, uh, who knows. But you get an addiction. We're in a meeting over in Adunitos, divine ability, divine power, supernaturally enabled. I was over in America, demonstrating in a church. Which this guy's now a pastor, but he was working as a bone cruncher. What do they call those people? Yeah, one of those. Bone cruncher. And uh, if, if you're a, one of those guys, they do a good job. Just crack it. Yeah, grab a spine and get cracking. That's it. And um, he was working at his job and a lady came in full of arthritis right through her body. Just, and she said to him, Dr. Matt, said, she said, I'm in such agony and I have been for so long and nothing's worked. I have pain in every joint. I live in constant pain. If you cannot help me today, I am going home and alongside my drawer, there's a revolver in that drawer and I'm going to go a 38 when I get home, if you can't help me today, I'll put it against my head and I'm going to blow my brains out. He said, that's a bit extreme. She said, I'm serious. So serious. He said, okay, come to this meeting tonight. It's demonstrating. And he brought her, brought her along. Thanks. Well done. Brought her along. And I'm demonstrating how to move in the power of God. And I called him down. I said, Dr. Matt, come down here. Laid hands on him. God flattened him on the floor. Pick him up. Knocked him over again in Jesus' name. The Lord knocked him over. Picked him up. Down he went. Pick him up. He was a shaking wreck. He was as drunk as a drunk in the Holy Ghost. Drunk as a skunk, but it's a stupid comment. <laughs> so that's why I don't say those things. So he's staggering there, virtually unable to incoherent. 
and they're holding him up. And I said, bring that woman down. I don't know much about, bring that lady. Ma'am, you're suffering. She said, yes, I am. I had no idea. I said, just stand there. Matt, lay your hands on her. And they lifted his arm up and dropped it on her head and she shuddered from head to foot. Paragon went through her body. She shuddered under the hand of God. Every trace of arthritis just left her body. She jumped around. We've had people get out of wheelchairs. We've had the dead raised on several occasions now. One night I was on radio praying for the sick and had been talking about raising the dead. And up in the, uh, I don't know, what's the name of the place up there? Hillsville. I think it's Hillsville where they've got platypus and all that. There's a wombat had died. And while we're praying over the radio, the, the wombat revived. And, and so, I, you know, I've got the privilege. I can honestly say we've seen two raised from the dead. I believe there's another person, but I can't be sure. It was an accident. Prayed for this woman. I'm pretty sure she was raised from the dead, but I don't know for certain. So I just say, I put it down as a probable. <laughs> but then there's two genuine cases of the dead being raised. One probable and a wombat. Did anyone bring their pet wombat? <laughs> you could have a wombat healing meeting. Be strong. Be endued with the supernatural. And in the power, kratos. We talked about that word. It's in the book, kratos, K-R-A-T-O-S. And it means dominion. It is kratos power that raises the dead. It's kratos. It's Dunamis is divine ability to do the miraculous. Divine ability to move in the miraculous. You shall receive dunamis after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you to be witnesses or bear witness of me. Kratos is the eruptive dominion power that will shake a place open, shake a city. It's another level. It's the dominion of God. It literally means God's dominion. Be strong in the Lord and strong in kurios, in the supreme king, not in yourself, strong in him and in the kratos, dominion, power of his might. Trying to think there, uh, iskus, forceful strength, pushing forward with power like a warrior, like warrior dominion. Be full of the ability, the divine power and the extreme dominion and forcefulness of God. That's my paraphrased version. For most Christians, that goes over the top of their head and they go, oh, that wouldn't be for me. But those that say it's for me will open up and hunger for it. It triggers something in your spirit. Be, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor. Be endued is the word there for put on. Be endued. There's two different things here with the armor. Put on. Be clothed down into. Bible says you'll be endued with power. But here it says be endued into the full armor. The word for whole armour is the word panoplia. From two words, pass all and hoplon weaponry, weapons. So I'm going to translate this myself. 
Well, if I take that word literally, panoplia, it means all weaponry, all instruments of war. A lot of people go, oh, I'm just putting on the armor because I'm so scared of the devil. He's attacking me. No, it's probably a little demon with a speech impediment, one leg, glass eye. <laughs> There's a little, tiny little helpless thing that's bugging you. The devil really, you know, he really bothers with people that are really smashing nations. Timid Christians, he just sends down little demons that are not, not much good for anything else. What are you hanging around for? Go tease someone. It's like a little dog. It's like a lady's at the, at the station. A little dog comes up, her dog. You know these little things you can't tell which ends which? <laughs> Put a handle on them, use them for a mop. And the thing's just barking. And she says, now be a good boy, just go home. <laughs> be a good boy, go home now. Will you stink it well get home, you little mongrel? That's how you deal with a demon. In Jesus' name, get it. When I first got saved, I'd tell him where to go. And the Lord honoured it. Then he'd say, I'd, I'd perhaps word it differently. <laughs> oh, first ever deliverance I did. I didn't know anything about it. And I, this bloke manifest and I had to take him on physically, got him down, got him in the leg scissors with his arm up his back and wasn't game to let him go. So I'd say, in Jesus' name, and I rode him around a room like a rodeo. <laughs> Hanging on, I did the eight seconds and just kept going. <laughs> Finally, I was exhausted, the demon was exhausted, he was, he went home, and that was the end of that. Never did get the demon out. <sighs> but I learned that there's proper, proper methods. <laughs> this had a go. Had a crack at it. Put on the whole weaponry. Fully armed. The Romans never dressed up just to go and... I'm just going to go on the defence today. We all saw the movie Braveheart. I didn't get dressed up like this for nothing. I didn't get dressed like this for nothing. And you put that armour on. And some people go, oh, the armour is only on the front, not on the back. Rubbish. The seclorum, seclor the, the uh, oh, segmentus seclorum goes right around and fits with leather at the front. And uh, that business of none on the back so you don't retreat, that's complete. Anyone has ever preached that? Have you ever preached that? It's complete nonsense. <laughs> I'm here to sort out some heresy, I'll tell you. It's hard work. Some people get the hard jobs. Three weeks. Did you, did you actually preach that? I'm ashamed of you. <laughs> You're going to have to read that book. There's a whole thing on the breastplate. Man, it's a hard business, sorting pastors out. It's the hardest part of it. I tell you what page it's on. Look, the pit. No, seriously, 
On a serious note, there's a picture of it. Where's the pictures gone? We've been ripped off. I've got, to, I've got to finish this today. Jackie's going, get on with the words. Stop. I am doing my best. Oh. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What are the wiles of the devil? It comes from the Greek word methodius, the methods. It actually has the meaning of building a road. Put on the whole armour of God that his methods will not come as a road built into your mind and spirit. You know the word the diabolus, the deceiver, the name for the devil, comes from two words. The second part of it, diabolus, from ballon to throw. And there was an understanding that the, the understanding of the name diabolus was one who throws a net. Could be heresy, but it sounded pretty good. I heard that said, and, and the word ballon, diabolus, second part is to throw. And he was considered, and I heard a good preacher say that, one of your tapes. <laughs> but I, it sounded right to me using the Greek word. So I didn't argue, never argue with the Greek, especially con Papadopoulos. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We've got to understand we're in a war. We're in a war. I want you to slip back to the book of Corinthians for a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Back to Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 3 says, Though we walk in the flesh. How many people are walking? They're humans. We walk in the flesh. But we do not war after the flesh. Ephesians 6 says we wrestle. Wrestling in the ancient world was one of three brutal sports. Boxing was so brutal they used leather strapped up to their arm which even had studs and when it came down to mortal combat they would box with, with, with spikes and even knives on the knuckle duster and uh, I think it was called a something, I can't remember the exact word for it, but there's a Greek poem and in that Greek poem it describes a boxer and he's getting this thing, what was it called Jack, a caretus or something that went around the arm and uh, he went to get this thing for his bout and before he used it he had to get the brains of the opponent, his brother had used it, had to get the brains of the opponent off it before he put it on. It was brutal, boxers died um, it's, not, it's a sermon in itself. We're not going to go there. Thanks, Jack. Then there was wrestling. Wrestling, you could break a man's back. You could do anything to bring him into submission. And even in, in bouts, it was recorded that to finish a man and bring him into submission, they could reach in and pull a tongue out by the roots. It was merciless. And so the Greeks would have understood the Greco-Romans would have understood there at Ephesus that that wrestling match is brutal and to the death. And if we don't understand that Satan's role against you and I is absolutely geared to one thing, to wrestle control to bring us to a place where ultimately 
we will give up and freely go to hell. And he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. But either do we. And the people that won't be stopped are the ones that have made up their mind. They're going for God and that we're going to smash his ground. I've always found that offense is better than defense. I found playing cricket that if you're always worried about getting out, you did. But if you saw that cricket ball as something to hit and hit hard and you started to hit it, you started to get confidence and you started to smack that ball around. They didn't care if you got hit or you got it. We didn't want to get out, but you thought if you smacked it hard enough, they wouldn't catch it anyway. Best means of defense is what? Attack. The Bible says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war. The word for war, stratome, strata, uh, it's a big word. Stratomeu, and it speaks of our campaign. And the Lord says, you warriors, fully armed in a campaign. In a military, what, what is the campaign? What is it? In natural war, the aim is kill as many of the enemy as possible till they give up. Drop a bomb on Hiroshima and bring a country to the place where they know that to go on, they're just going to lose everybody. The First World War, the British generals worked on the principle last man standing. Didn't matter to send the men in. And if we've got more than the Germans got left, we've won. Don't worry about the men. What war are we in right now? This is the war where the devil says, I'm going to take as many to hell as I can. And we say, no, we are going to take as many to heaven as we can. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. When the church loses its evangelistic edge and stops going after souls, it's lost the war. And I'm going to say another thing. Most churches in this country, the evangelistic edge on their church is pathetic. And I've traveled all over the nation. We've got to have a heart for souls. I was reading some stuff this morning and I thought, God, I can't share that this morning. But I was just reading over there in, in uh, Ezekiel where God says to Ezekiel, if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not warn them, their blood I will require at their hands. Does he say it once? He says it four times. A few years ago, my mother said to me, Tim, your uncle is very, very ill. He's in a place called Tullybuck. Anyone heard of Tullybuck? I was in Adelaide. They had a farm out of Tullybuck. Glen Innes, I think they called their place. And I remember as a kid going out on a dirt track out there, just about get bogged. They had no electricity. They had gas lamps. And I used to go out there as a kid and they'd say, don't get too close to the pigs. If you fall in there, they'll eat you. Okay. My uncle was dying. I always got on well with him. And mum said, would you pray for your uncle? He's very ill. He's got, he's got cancer. He's really critically ill. I said, yeah, I'll pray for him, mum. How often do we say, yeah, I'll pray and we don't? Oh, Lord, you better help them. And the Lord says, serious? And the Lord said to me, how serious are you about his soul? I said, uh, maybe not enough. He said, get in the car and drive. I drove from Adelaide out to the farm, back blocks of Tullybuck. Cousin's house was there. Stopped off and he said, go talk to you. Go and talk to him, but don't worry him. In other words, don't preach to him. 
I said, no, no, I won't worry him. I'll bring some peace to him. Went to the old house and it was just like it had the old gate that had a, a spring on it that never shut properly. Dogs just get out under. Got to the front door of the house and it was still the same old swinging thing the flies used to get in and you'd pull it and it would slam shut and walked in, same old place after years. And the furniture was all covered. I thought, I wonder where my, my uncle is. And I walked up, I thought he'd be up in his bedroom. So I went up and knocked on the door. I said, Uncle John, he says, yeah, come in. Opened the door and he looked at me with a look that says, I've been waiting for you. I'm going to say something to you. There are people, the Bible says the whole of creation is groaning, eagerly awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. There are people whose eyes are peering around saying, is there someone would come and tell me how to be saved before I die? And I walked into him and I said, Uncle John, I didn't feel to pray for healing. I said, I've come to talk to you about eternity. And I said, Uncle John, um, Jesus is coming for you soon. And uh, you've got to be ready. And, in, and I said, you can be certain, you know, when he comes, that you're just gonna, he's going to take you by the hand. He said, how can I be sure of that? Old Presbyterian. He said, how can anyone know? I said, let's open up the word of God. And I began to talk to him. Know the truth. The truth will make you free. He has the son, has life, and so on. Wrote some out. And I remember that he loved the hymns. And I said, you know some of those great hymn writers? You remember the hymn that was written, Amazing Grace? Do you know who wrote that? It was a slave trader, man committed to the devil. John Newton. A man is so corrupt and evil, a captain of slave ships, swung a little baby's head into the mast because it was crying, abused the wet, just a bad man given over but in a great storm he remembered the God of his father and he knew he's about to face him and he cried out to God I said uncle John he cried out and he was saved and he knew he was and he wrote he came back and he got out of slavery worked against it became a pastor but he's famous for writing amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost and the tears started to run. And I said, Uncle John, what about this one? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And I said, let's pray that you be ready to meet Jesus. He cried, took my hand, prayed. At his funeral, his daughter came up and she said, do you know, right to his death, he was carrying, he's a Scotsman, he was carrying his bank, bank book <laughs> and a thing with the scriptures you wrote. And she said, he told me what happened. She said, that's the only time I've ever seen my father cry. We went into a little chapel there in Nile West where my mum was born. And the sun came streaming in on that coffin. And I just knew that by a little bit of effort, there was someone that was not going to hell but had been delivered out of darkness simply because I drove 300 miles. And then they buried him and I looked at the dirt going in. I thought, you better put a lot in there because it's going to bust open. But I went home and later on my auntie, she was really ill. My mum said, Would you, could you pray for your auntie? And I said, yeah, I will. 
And I felt the Lord say, why don't you go and see her as well? And I said, yeah, look, Lord, we'll, we'll, we'll get the time and we'll do that. And I thought about it and gave it a lot of thought. And she died. I wonder, I wonder whether her blood is going to be on my hands. We go past people every day and mostly don't care. If we really felt that every person out there that doesn't know Jesus is going to spend eternity in a place of outer darkness, burning and eaten by worms, we would actually get serious about it. We'd start to get passionate to share. We'd look for every opportunity to share. I was in America. I'll tell you one more story. I better not preach too much longer, but I feel as though God's speaking something. I believe that God wants to put a spirit of evangelism on this church. I feel as though God wants to do something with you so powerful. Now, this is taking scripture out of context, but so powerful that if even described to you, you would not believe it. There's something here that I don't feel in many churches. There's something here that you've got. There's a core of something in prayer. There's something that's going to accelerate. There's something that's going to push to revival. There's something that's going to come out of yesterday that's going to drive to another level. And you're, you're going to do everything you can to get out there and do some stuff. You're going to step into something, come here quickly, very significant. I've prayed for you a few times this week and you've been hit by the power of God. But it's not just so that you can enjoy his presence. He's going to say to you, what are you going to do? How are you going to reach him? You've got a heart for evangelism. Where are you going to start? Where are you going to start? Where are you going to start? What are you going to start doing? Where are the ideas from God? God's going to open doors. He's going to give you, he's going to give you keys to reach people. He's going to give you a mighty anointing. Mighty anointing. Mighty. It's in America. And I was preaching in, I can't even remember what state it was. But I had an old friend that I met over on Guadalcanal, 1st Marine Division. Took us all over the battle sites over there. And I got very friendly with him. Very friendly. Became close friends with him. And uh, he came to crusades with us in the Solomons. We went, just, we were good friends. And I was in this place doing this conference. I don't even remember the conference. Couldn't even remember where I was. Don't remember anything about it. But I knew that my friend was sick. And the Lord said to me, I want you to go and see him. I said, God, I'll have to get a car and drive to another state. And I've only got a little bit of time. I'd love to rest up for this conference. And the Lord said, go and see him. Who's God saying for you to go and see? You say, I don't know how to witness. Do you want their blood on your hands? I don't. If we don't care about souls, we don't care about the harvest, we need to take a look to see we're not still part of it. Because if we know Jesus, Jesus is the, he is the Lord of the harvest. And he is saying, summon workers in there. The laborers are so few. And in the body of Christ, the people that want to win souls is handfuls in a church. But churches grow and explode and influence a community when every person says, I've got to win every friend I meet, that I work with, that I see at school, in my street. I've never witnessed to my neighbours. 
I've got a couple of interesting neighbours next door. I won't go into details, but I went out the other night and one of them was in the lift with makeup on, his male. Talks in a strange voice and their dog likes us and wants to live at our place. <laughs> Haven't witnessed to them yet. They do know what we do. And here is praying. So I got in a car. I think I hired it and I drove to his house. When I got there, his wife said, he's really sick. He's very nearly gone. I said, can I see him? Frank, I've got letters from him. He fought from Guadalcanal right through to Palalau. He was shot up. When he, when he went off, off Palalau, he had three machine gun bullets in one leg, hadn't drunk water for two days because there was diesel in the water. He'd been in every battle you could imagine. He'd, uh, he sent me letters. He described battle. He described guys coming over the top with a bayonet, shot the guy, and the guy came down, stuck a bayonet in his knee, and, and uh, just a man, a man of battle. Lovely guy. He was an advisor to Spielberg on the, I believe, on the Pacific series, and he took us all over the, the battle sites there on Guadalcanal. But he... I went in and there's Frank, little guy, wasn't he, Jack? Little fella. And he's lying in his bed. And he's just about hardly talk. We couldn't talk. Just lying there so close to death. And I went over and I said, how are you, my friend? I've come to see you. God loves you. Shared with him. And had some time with him. Went out. I was pretty emotional. Walked outside. Blessed the family. And as I was walking out, the Lord said to me, Tim... Is he saved? I said, of course he is, Lord. He's, you know, been mentioned. Is he saved? I said, well, Lord, yeah, he would be, you know. And you do that. Oh, they'd be fine. Somebody else. Somebody else will reach them. Who's the somebody else? Oh, I don't want blood on my hands, I'll tell you. I've probably got plenty. But I don't want any more. I don't want any more. I don't have to answer. I talked to a guy from the football club and I said, you're a Christian when I played football. He said, yeah. I said, I had big needs, but you never spoke to me. Why not? Why not? Talk to a pastor. I used to go over to this place drunk and shut up all the girls over there. He, they thought I was a really bad young man. I said, why did you never talk to me about Jesus? Why didn't you? I was open. Why didn't you talk to me? And there's people that probably could say to you and I, why haven't you talked to me? I walked out and God said, go back in. I said, oh, I, don't, I don't really want to. I've just said goodbye to the fan. Go in. All right, sir. I said, can I see, can I see Frank? And I walked into dear old Frank lying there. And I just said, Frank, I've got to talk to you. I said, Jesus is coming real soon. He's coming for you. And we want to be certain that you're ready for him. I said, I know you can't talk, but I'm going to hold your hand, Frank. And I'm going to pray on your behalf. And I'm going to pray that you're certain that Jesus is ready to meet you, that he's in your heart in a big way. And all you have to do as I pray is squeeze my hand in agreement. And you're praying by a hand squeeze. And I said, Lord, I come on Frank's behalf. I ask you, I ask you, Father, that 
every sin be washed away in Frank's life. And I could feel his hand squeezing. And I said, and that you would come and fill his heart. And I watched the tears running down that old man's face. And I knew that he was saved. I just prayed with him. Went out, got in the car. I just wept going home. Because the greatest thrill in life is to see someone turn from darkness to light. The greatest thrill you can have as a Christian is to be leading people to Christ. Darren Rose, it's your passion. They bought themselves a sound system. They're just working out now how to get it all happening. I think we should bring this big tent in here and get all the churches together and just go for it with a 1,000, 1,500-seat tent on the property and just go after every soul in this community for the glory of God. I walked out, I got in the car, and I drove back to the hotel. Went in on the phone, the little light's buzzing on the phone, a little red light message there. Picked it up. There's the message. Tim, 10 minutes after you walked out, Frank left us. And the Lord said to me, like a soldier lying on the battlefield waiting for the padre, he stayed alive waiting for you. Do you know there's people out there staying alive just waiting for you? Do you know how many people in old folks' homes and when COVID was on and they couldn't see anyone in the old folks' home, our illustrious governments just let them quietly sink into a lost eternity. And there's people in senior saints' places that are, as it says in the book of Romans, they're stretching to and fro. They're head-stretching, waiting for the coming of the sons and daughters of the living God. And sometimes they're looking, when will they come? When will they come? And often their dying moments, they must ask inside, why didn't they come? And I'm not wanting to, to I'm talking to myself this morning and I wasn't sort of going to go too hard here. But I believe that God is wanting in the Australian church to get us into prayer for revival Passion for total revival, passion for a move of the Holy Ghost like never before, and a passion to see souls pumped into the kingdom of God in a massive way. And I've preached long enough, and it's probably was very uplifting in the beginning, and uh, and I didn't, I don't want to bring anybody under condemnation, but simply to say that we should never worry about the people we've missed, or the situations that we let slide, but to make a decision from today that we're not going to miss an opportunity. That we're not going to miss one opportunity for someone. In fact, I'm wondering how many people even today would say, Father, that's not me, Heavenly Father. I'm not a priest or anything. But would say, Heavenly Father, I would like to start to lead at least one person a week to Jesus. Just one. How many would like to start to leave? Five. I started my ministry, and I don't recommend it, picking up hitchhikers. I witnessed to everything that moved. <laughs> oh, I had people 
manifesting in the car. Now, everywhere I went, I witnessed. And that's how I started. Then street evangelism. Oh, that's where you break into the word of knowledge. You get the most extraordinary stuff. I learned more than probably in a few years as a young man, busting out just to win souls. John Knox stood over Scotland and he cried out, give me Scotland or let me die. Paul said, I would be willing to be accursed and go to hell for the sake of the Jewish people. God, give us a burden for souls. This is not exactly where I thought this meeting was going to go. But it's gone there now. How many know it's gone there? And I'll put something to you. We have gone a long time, but God's still going to do some powerful stuff. Don't worry, it's only three o'clock. But I want every person in the building that has never, ever given their life to Jesus. If you, die, if you died right now, you don't know if you'd be in heaven or hell. Hell's not a popular subject anymore in the church. <laughs> you know, the church sometimes gets smarter than Jesus. Not here. But if you don't know him, we're only one breath away from either heaven or hell. One breath. I was with a man one night in the fullness of his ministry. And we talked and we shared. He gave me a Bible that I've still got at home. It's a Dake's Bible. It's a great Bible. And he said, when are you going to come? You're going to come back to the university. And he said, I'm going to put this here. And every time you see it, it's going to remind you of when you're coming. When are you coming? He drew a big question mark in that front page. It might not have been that big, but it was a question mark. That night, they were driving and they were in ministry with universities and they weren't supported well. No one got in behind their ministry and cared much. So they tried to drive all night. He went to sleep and ran off the road. The height of his ministry, breaking universities open, he was killed. I remember at his funeral, thinking about that Bible with that question mark. Little did I realize that one minute I'd be with John. The following day, he's got a widow and three kids. We don't know. Every morning I wake up, I go, gee, I woke up again. It's good. But is there anyone today, heads about, eyes are closed. I don't know Jesus. I've never come into a living relationship with him. You say, I don't know him, but I'd like to. I'd like to walk out of here today knowing that every sin I've ever committed is gone. That Christ is in my life. If that's you, I'd like you to lift your hand wherever you are and say, I would like to know Jesus today. I want to come back to him or I want to find him for the first time. This is my day. Would you slip your hand quickly wherever you are? Just slip it up. Just slip it high so I can see it. God bless you. Great to meet you guys. Pray, let's pray this pressure. Well, let's pray this together. You ready? Dear Heavenly Father, today I give my life to you. Jesus, I make you my Lord. Come into my life. Change me. Make me new. I receive you as my Lord, 
my Saviour and my King. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for joining today. If you'd like to know more about service times or simply want to find out more about church, head to our website, riveredgechurch.com.au.